Wreck. All right, Second Samuel chapter 18, verse number 1. And David numbered the people that were with him, and set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. And David sent forth the third part of the people under the hand of Joab, and a third part under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zariah, Joab's brother, and a third part under the hand of Atai, the Gittite. And the king said unto the people, I will surely go forth with you myself also. And the people answered, Thou shalt not go forth, for if we flee away, they will not care for us. Neither if half of us die will they care for us, but now thou art worth ten thousand of us. Therefore now it is better that thou succour us out of the city. And the king said unto them, What seemeth you best I will do. And the king stood by the gate side, and all the people came out by hundreds and by thousands. And the king commanded Joab and Abishai and Atai, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man, even with Absalom. For all, and all the people heard when the king gave all the captains charge concerning Absalom. So the people went out into the field against Israel, and the battle was in the wood of Ephraim, where the people of Israel were slain before the servants of David. And there was a great slaughter that day of 20,000 men. For the battle was there scattered over the face of all the country. And the wood devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. And Absalom met the servants of David, and Absalom rode upon a mule, and the mule went under the thick boughs of a great oak, and his head caught, cold, caught hold of the oak, and he was taken up between the heaven and the earth. And the mule that was under him went away. And a certain man saw it and told Joab, and said, Behold, I saw Absalom hanged in an oak. And Joab said unto the man that told him, And behold, thou sawest him, and why didst thou not smite him there to the ground? And I would have given thee ten shekels of silver and a girdle. And the man said unto Joab, Though I should receive a thousand shekels of silver in mine hand, yet would I not put forth my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing the king charged thee and Abishai and Atai, saying, Beware that none touch the young man Absalom. Otherwise I should have wrought falsehood against mine own life. For there is no matter hid from the king, and thou thyself would have set thyself against me. Then said Joab, I may not tarry thus with thee. He took three darts in his hand and thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. And the ten young men that bare Joab's armor compassed about smote Absalom and slew him. And Joab blew the trumpet and the people returned from pursuing after Israel for Joab held back the people. And they took Absalom and cast him into a great pit in the wood and laid a very great heap of stones upon him and all Israel fled every one to his own to his tent. Now Absalom had in his life and Absalom in his lifetime had taken and reared up for himself a pillar, which was in the king's dale. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance, and he called the pillar after his own name, and it is called unto this day Absalom's place. Let's bow our heads if you would please and pray once more. I want to ask God to bless the preaching this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you and I thank you so much for the word of God. Thank you for these people. Thank you for this church. Thank you for all that you've done, and Lord, for just the privilege it is to be a pastor, God, and to preach the Word of God. And I pray now as I begin to preach this passage that you would please help me, Father. I, I know how bad I need you. I don't want to say anything, Lord, that would hurt anybody, but I don't want to hold back and not say what you'd have me to say out of a fear of people's reactions or their responses. God, I just want to do what you've called me to do, and I want to do it the way you want me to do it. Now, I pray this morning that you'd help me as I try to preach this passage of Scripture to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. I pray that I'd be filled with the Word of God. 
that you'd put a guard at the door of my lips, that I'd be fully under your control. That, Father, you'd take this passage of Scripture and that you'd do something that only you can do, and that is feed your people and give them help. We all need help, God, and we need your protection this morning. I need, uh, God, I need your protection, and I pray your protection over this church. Strengthen us, Father, and do in us and through us what only you can do, we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to preach to you this morning from the subject matter of in the time of war. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse number 8, that there's a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. Unfortunately, no matter how hard you and I try to stay out of a fight, sooner or later in your Christian life, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be called on to fight. Look, we've been talking through this series about things that hurt the church. One of the problems with and one of the things that hurts the church is infighting, right? The devil seeks to divide and conquer. He tries to cause issues between you and other people in the church. One of the things that splits a family and hurts a family is what? Infighting. If the devil can drive a wedge in your home and get you to fight and keep fighting, he can eventually tear that thing down. Don't worry, she'll be done in just a minute. It's important, I think. I'm sorry if it's distracting to you, but it's important. He can eventually tear it down. So you've got to understand that what we want to do is exactly what we see David doing in this passage of Scripture. We want to avoid a fight. If at all possible, with everything that's in me, I want to do my best to avoid shedding blood that God does not want me to shed. Even when somebody else is starting a fight with me, If I can somehow get the filling of God's Spirit and the power of God to be able to control myself whether they are or not, that is what I want from God. Listen, the older I get, the less I really want to fight. If if I want to fight, I'll go to the gym and do that. I I do like fighting. I'm sorry. It's just my nature. It's who I am. It's what I am. Me and my wife got into a little tiff a few years ago. I don't know if he'll remember this or not. And we got going back and forth. And, and she said, well, I'd become a fighter because I married you. I have to to survive. I said, oh, right. I called him. I said, Dad, was Grace a fighter before she met me? His response, Mike, leave me out of it. Click. I, I, I naturally, I don't try to be that. I literally am just like naturally that. I mean, from the time I was a little boy, I adored my grandpa. It's like my wiring. You understand what I'm saying? But the older I get, honestly, the less of a stomach I have for it. I'm not talking about UFC or MMA. I have plenty of stomach for that. But really, when it comes to like having hard feelings toward people, when it comes to making something an issue... When it comes to taking my stand and being willing to let whatever happens, happens, because I'm going to win this one, the older I get, the less I care. I want to do everything in my power to have peace. The Bible does say, blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus Christ is the prince of peace. Man, folks, I mean it from my heart. There ain't nothing like peace. Give me a tiny little house, give me a tent in the wilderness, and a wife that loves me and some girls that love me. 
and a dog that gets all happy when it sees me. I got to have dogs in there. All that it doesn't really matter anymore. It used to have to be a pit bull or a German shepherd, and that was it, preferably a pit bull. Now, my little Boston Terrier, I, it's, I guess I'm getting older. Now, I'm not old, but I'm getting older. My, my view of life is just changing, man. I don't, I don't want a church full of fighting. But guess what? According to that Bible, there's a time of war. And there's a time of peace. You can't ever get to a point where you lose your edge. You know, David as an old man, as an old man, still had another giant that he had to face. Here he is. I mean, he's about to exit life. Just leave me alone and let me die in peaceful retirement, would you? But no, another giant shows up and has to try to kill him. And he gets weary and weak-handed in the fight. But David was still fighting. you got to realize that when it comes down to it, there are times that no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try to avoid that fight, no matter what you do to try to have peace, when you get around some wicked men or people that the devil or the flesh or the world have gotten a hold of, you're going to have to fight. And when it's time to fight, there's some things you and I need to keep in mind. I hate to say it, and I I told you, I already told you, I don't want it. I mean it. I don't want it. If I can figure a way to get out of it peacefully, I will. But I'll tell you this much. What I won't do is I won't compromise the truth. I won't back off on something that's worth. Can I tell you something? This church is worth fighting for to me. You know why? I love it. You know why I'm here? I'm here because of Jesus Christ. God's in it. And this thing's worth fighting for. I'll tell you something else that's worth fighting for. That woman, she's worth fighting for. Now, I didn't say fighting with. I said fighting for. <laughs> she's worth fighting with, too. Some of you get, some of you get all worked up about fighting as, as, as married couples. Would you please stop? Do you know why I've never gotten into an argument with your wife? Because I don't care. You know why I fight with her? Because I, I'm so mad at her. It's because I love her. I'd be like, man, do you see that woman? She's a nut. Yeah, she's crazy. Like, if you're not married to her, that's kind of like you're just like over it. But man, when you care, you understand what I'm saying? Oh yeah. She's worth fighting for. That means when the going gets rough and you're not feeling it anymore, but they were feeling it yesterday, weren't they? <laughs> I mean, the tears are flowing and it's like, and it's wonderful. It's a precious thing. It's a, it's a abs- I'm not knocking it and I'm not mocking them like, you know, we're the old experienced people and they're the goofy kids. I remember being there. I'm standing there trying not to start crying, not because of them, because of her. I'm, I remember the feeling. It's a great, it's a precious thing. It don't stay there, does it? But you know what? <laughs> Be careful when you fellas say amen. <laughs> it don't stay there. But it's worth fighting for. It's worth making it through. It's worth stepping back and saying, God, if I need to change, I'll change. God, I'll be what you want me to be because it's worth fighting for. You know what's worth fighting for? My kids. You know what that does mean, parents? That does mean that sometimes they are not going to even like you. If you're your kid's buddy, I'm not trying to knock on you. I'm trying to help you. If you're your kid's buddy, something is wrong with you. 
I realize they get to an age where the relationship should change, right? They're adults, and it's not like it was when we are little. It's a little bit of a different relationship. But, man, when they're living under your roof and you're still responsible for them and you're the head of them, you ain't their buddy. And it's worth it. It's worth having them mad at me. It's worth having them getting all rebellious and all bent out of shape. It's worth it to me because I love them. There's some things worth fighting for, and I'm not selling out what's worth fighting for because I prefer peace and want everybody to like me. When it comes time to fight, you better be able to fight and recognize that God's in it if you're fighting for the right thing. So make sure that you do it the right way. I think this passage of Scripture, we have some great examples throughout here of what to do and what not to do. If you're going to fight for something, when it's time to fight, you better know how to discern which side is the Lord's side and which side isn't. What you have in 2 Samuel 18 is you have two different sides in a battle. You've got one side that could be construed as David's side, and you've got another side that's Absalom's side. And what you have is you have all of the people of Israel, God's people that are supposed to be unified, But they're forced in this situation to take sides because David is forced into a situation to where now he has to fight. He's done everything he can to avoid the fight. He's gone out of his way to make sure that blood is not shed. He's done everything in his power to leave it to God and let God handle it. But I'm telling you this morning, sometimes you can pray all you want and you can let God handle it all you want, but God ain't fixing it till you do something about it. I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, man. I'm talking pastorally speaking. God, deal with them. God, please deal with them. God, please deal with her. God, would you deal with this situation? God, please. God, how much longer do we got? Even to the point where people are coming to me saying, Preacher, when are you going to do something about them? And I realized God put me here as the pastor, not to be a lord over your heritage, but to be a helper of your joy, Right? And if some one particular part of the body is creating a cancerous tissue and robbing the rest of the body of its joy, I can't put it off on God when he told me to oversee it. Amen. It was time to fight. Unbelievable, the peace came after the battle. And then God starts growing the church again. So sometimes you're going to have to fight because God leaves it up to you to fight. But when it comes time to fight, you better be sure you're on the Lord's side. You see, in the passage, you have David in verse number one as a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, for sure, one of the greatest types of Jesus Christ in the Bible. And the Bible says in verse number one, and David numbered the people that were with him and set captains over thousands and captains over hundreds over them. And David sent forth a third part of the people under the hand of Joab and a third part under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zariah, Joab's brother, and a third part under the hand of Ataiah, the Gittite. And the king said unto the people, I will surely go forth with you myself. And the people look at King David and they say, oh man, they'll slaughter all of us and we aren't even important. But when they see you out there, they'll do everything they can to kill you because they want you dead. He said, you just stay here. He said, all right, what you guys see fit, I'll do. You know what I noticed in that? The king knows who he has on his side. When the king's looking at the battle, he recognizes, I have these men as captains. These are the guys that I've gifted, I've called, and I've put there to lead this battle. So there's my captains, and I've numbered, he's counted all his people, and he knows exactly who's on his side and exactly who isn't. In other words, the Lord knows what side you're on this morning. Are you on the Lord's side or not? 
When it comes time to fight, you better make sure you're fighting for the right things. A lot of us get caught up into fights and we don't realize we're on the wrong side of the equation. What are you fighting for? You fighting for the right things or are you fighting for what you think is the right thing? How do I know that I'm on the right side? How do I know that I'm in this battle and I'm in the right part of it because most of God's people are going that direction and there's a small group of God's people that are over here and everybody over here, they got all kinds of reasons and excuses for why they're over here. I mean, look at David. This is all David's fault. He's reaping what he sowed. Absalom's over there with his, his ten concubines on the roof, and that was prophesied to happen. I mean, look at all the mistakes that David's made. I mean, look at the personality problems in David and the way he handled those issues. And, oh, I don't like the way that went, and I don't like the way they do things around there, and I just don't think that it should be. Hey, all that's beside the point. Where is God? Amen. God is on David's side. Why? Watch this. How do I know God's on David's side? Because when I look at David, I see a man. And the more I get to know that man, the more I know, like, there's a fault, 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 there's a fault. Now, when I keep looking at the faults, this is what happens in church, folks. When I keep looking at the faults because my preacher's a sinner. Is that a shock to anybody? I'm a sinner just like you. <laughs> and I got a Savior, and His name's the Lord Jesus Christ. So the more I start focusing on the faults, or whatever I don't like, or whatever got under my skin, or whatever's bugging me, or, you know, there's some people in there, preacher's not doing anything about that. I mean, I saw brother so-and-so smoking a cigarette. Well, let's just tar and feather him and run him out of church. Let's just cut his stinking head off. Because you know what? He has a personal struggle. Was he doing it on the church property and preacher was ignoring it? No, he has respect for the church property. He's got a personal struggle in his life that he's working on. You want to just run him off? Or do you want to like maybe have a little bit of long-suffering and doctrine like the Bible says and try to help him? But you get focused on the sins and the brethren, you get confused as to which is the right side and which isn't. So the question is, where is God? How do I know God's on David's side? All the proof's in the pudding. You know, I mean, you've seen that he killed Goliath. That doesn't mean he's still got enough God on him to kill Goliath today. You know how many preachers at one point were right and aren't anymore? How do I know? You know it based on the Word of God. Where do you ever see God sending the prophet in to anoint Absalom to be on that throne in Jerusalem? You don't see it one time in the Bible anywhere. Where do you even see David, even a second step from that? Like, not as good as the anointing of the prophet, but maybe David saying, listen, I really believe Absalom's God's replacement. I'm preparing Absalom for the throne. Absalom and I have a close relationship. He's like that Elisha who's pouring the hands on the water, the water on the hands of Elijah, faithfully serving God. You don't find that anywhere. There's nothing to show you that Absalom from the Bible was God's man for that job. All you see is when you look at Absalom, he's beautiful, he's wealthy, he's smooth, he's charismatic, he's got a crowd following him, he's a big deal. His YouTube page has tens of thousands of followers. So what? 
That's a logarithms. Don't you understand that the prince and the power of the air can help people get worldly famous? When their personal life bears no fruit or merit to the level that they've gotten to on social media? Does that, does that make sense? We got more and more like young guys in here that are either in the Bible Institute or called to preach or something. Let me just warn you, okay? Listen to me. The internet can exalt you faster than God does. Watch this. Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Why don't you just be faithful and just invest your life and raise your family and follow God and let one day, one week, one month, one year compile in your life and see what God does in and through your life. And then if God wants to promote you, let him promote you. And if God doesn't, just love him and serve him and enjoy your stinking life. Amen. He's got a huge YouTube following. So what? Does he even own a home? Or does he live with his mommy and daddy? Has he ever raised a kid? I'm, I'm, just ask, I'm, ask, I'm just asking questions. Like, w- w- this generation just runs off onto the wrong side all the time, not evaluating. You know how many preachers have gotten headaches in their local ministry where they've proven themselves day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, headaches because somebody's Googling into somebody else somewhere, bringing it into the local church, and you're on the wrong side. Because, wow, he's such a great teacher. So what? Where's God at? I'm not saying there aren't some good guys out there. I know some that are. They're teaching good doctrine. I'm just saying, you better slow down and evaluate where the Word of God is at. What does God have to say about this thing? That's the side I want to be on. Where's God? Well, David's faults. Absalom looks a whole lot more faultless at this point in his life than David. Can we not defend the fact that he killed Amnon? Come on, men. He raped his sister, then threw her away. Look, I'm sorry, I'm not saying that it's legal or that it's right or anything, but look, if, if, you know, if that was the case and you know, I took a 40 and just smoked his stinking brains out, you know what I'm saying? Like, well, I mean, I, okay, man, you, should, you don't do that kind of thing. The guy got really, really mad and killed you for it. Yeah. Duh. Don't mess with somebody's sister. Don't mess with somebody's wife. Don't mess with somebody's mother. You, you don't understand that? <laughs> Right? Can't you sort of justify what Amnon did? Can anybody justify what David did with Bathsheba and Uriah? I'm not defending what he did. I'm telling you, he messed up, and he messed up really bad, but God wasn't done with him yet. God dealt with him. I'm going to show you by the time we get to the end of the passage, God dealt with him more harshly than if he hadn't received the personal mercy. Do you get that? Under the law, he should have died. God made an exception for him and gave him what's called the sure mercies of David because of God's relationship with David. And God said, I'm not going to throw away your whole life over this one mistake, but I'm going to deal with you, boy. And God, in this passage, what God is actually doing is dealing with David. He's paying installments on what he did. He pays four times the fourfold he declared when Nathan came in on the guy who took the sheep, the fourfold he declared, he's paying for. 
He says at the end of the chapter, Would to God I died for thee, O Absalom, my son, my son. It was worse for him, not better. So don't think God is unjust. Understand God is God. And when you and I are looking at things, sometimes from our human judgment, we can get deceived by the devil because one looks so wonderful, but actually Absalom's problems were in his spirit. David's problems were in his flesh. Saul's problems were in his spirit. David's problems were in his flesh. One is a type of the Antichrist. The other one becomes a type of Jesus Christ. You see the difference? You better be careful. Make sure you're on the right side. And I'm telling you this morning, the only way you and I can figure it out is by the book in your lap. There was a prophecy given to David, an anointing of David. It came from the preacher. It came from the word of God. It was the message God gave the preacher to give to David and to the nation of Israel. That's how you know you're on the right side. Because God said it and God didn't change it. But nothing is said about Absalom. So you're forced to use human reasoning. And that is dangerous every single time. When it comes to a fight, if you're forced to it, do everything, do everything you can not to. Amen. God told you the heretic after the first and second admonition, reject him. He didn't tell you fight with him. How many of God's people get all off track disobeying God and then you wonder why you got so many problems at work. You wonder why you're never bringing people to church and you're never winning souls to Christ. You won't follow what the book said to do about it. You're not fighting right. Do everything you can to avoid the fight. Everything you can. But when you can't, make sure you're on God's side in the battle. It doesn't matter if they're bigger than us. Be on the right side of the fight. David was on the right side of the fight. The Word of God is the way to determine that. Secondly, the will of God has to be known. In verses 6 through 10, David's will is made very clear to all the captains. He tells them earlier on, excuse me, in verse number 5, he tells them, he says, listen, do not kill Absalom. So he makes it abundantly clear when you're on the right side, when you're on the Lord's side, he makes it abundantly clear what he wants done and how he wants it done. You can know for sure you're on the right side of the battle when you stand by the word of God and understand and hear what the king says and what he wants done. That Bible in your lap is so powerful, you have to know that book. Let me give you an example. Go back with me quickly to Joshua, if you would, please. Joshua chapter number uh, 5. I want to show you something pretty amazing about a King James Bible. Uh, You live in a day and age where the King James Bible is mocked and criticized and made fun of because of the these and thous. I I still like using this illustration, so forgive me if you've heard it a hundred times already, but, you know, they say, well, I just can't understand the these and the thous. By the way, we're going to be talking a little bit more about that tonight. I've got to clear up some things from what I said uh, last week. So here's the thing. His, this, is, this just cuts through all the smoke because there's all kinds of very educated arguments that I could give you. I'll give you some of them tonight. But let me just cut through all the shenanigans, the smoke screens about it. If I stuck a loaded 45 up against your skull, it's terrible, man. I've got to come up with new illustrations. Sorry. If I stuck a loaded 45 up against your skull and said, tell me what the means, in the context of that thing, you'd figure it out real fast. All of a sudden, it wouldn't be, I just have no idea. You can stick a 45 against my skull and tell me to say a sentence in Hebrew, and I'm dead. Do you understand that? 
It's not possible. But you'll figure out thee and thou real fast. So they come along and they try to tell you, well, we're going to make the Bible easier to understand. We're going to, we're going to update the language. And we're going to make sure that we fix all the mistakes that God made in the Bible because, you know, there's some mistakes in that old English Bible. There's errors in the King James Bible. I'm going to show you an error in the King James Bible right now. You ready? Joshua chapter 5, look at verse 13. It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with the sword drawn in his hand. Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? You know what he's trying to figure out? Whose side are you on? Now Joshua is about to find out that he needs to ask himself what side this man is on. And that's the side Joshua needs to get on, and he's fixing to know that in a second. When Joshua sees the man standing there with the sword drawn in his hand, Joshua's like, okay, it looks like it's time to fight. Whose side are you on? Are you for us or our adversaries? Do I kill you right now or do I show you where we're camped out at and what the battle plan is? Right? Watch. And he said, nay, but as the captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. You know who that is? That's the Lord Jesus Christ appearing to him. I'm going to show you something in just a second. Joshua fell on his face and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? Stop. Where do you find in the Bible any man of God worshiping an angel? You find commandments in the Bible not to worship angels? If that's nothing more than an angel and not the Lord Jesus Christ, that must be a fallen angel because that angel accepted worship and angels in the Bible say, No, don't worship. Get up. They're commanded, you're commanded not to worship angels. Not a bad point. Okay, well, let's just keep going. Watch this. He said, What saith my Lord unto his servant? Joshua knew who this was. And it says in verse 15, And the captain of the Lord's host. See that? What is Jesus Christ called in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10? The captain of your salvation. He said, As the captain of the Lord's host saith unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Okay? Good enough? Go to Acts chapter 7. So I'm telling you that that's Jesus Christ appearing. And you say, well, it doesn't say Jesus Christ, and I just don't know. And let me show you a real mistake in your King James Bible. I'll just show you that, that God is so weak that when He sat in heaven in eternity past and promised that He would preserve it from this generation forever and that the Word of God is founded and established forever and that you'd have a perfect Bible in your language forever, that there would be a perfect Word of God. In it. He's so weak, he couldn't back up what he said. Like the scholars are going to tell you, well, it is preserved in the originals, which is a great way of playing this game that the Catholic Church plays, which says, well, the Word of God's out there, but you can't understand it, and you can't read it, and you can't know it, because you don't know Hebrew and Greek and the originals, or which originals to refer to, because there's all kinds of originals. So when they talk about the originals, they're lying to you, because what they're talking about is copies of copies of copies of copies of copies, because the originals are all gone. So they say the originals, which is smoke and mirrors, to deceive the hearts of the laity. It's the doctrine of the Nicolaitans we're talking about on Sunday night, which is where the clergy conquers the laity, and it's mind control where you've got to come to me to find out what God actually said. They don't open the Bible and do what I'm doing for you this morning because I'm on the Lord's side in this battle, and I want you to know the Word of God and judge me by it. Amen. That's right. In Acts chapter 7, 
Look at verse 45. He said, which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles whom God drave out before the face of our fathers under the days of David. With Jesus? He's talking about Joshua bringing them into the promised land. You know what every one of them Bibles does? I looked up the NIV this morning just to double check. You know what every one of the new Bibles do? They help God out right there. They change that to Joshua. Brought in with Joshua. Because it's referring to when Joshua brought them in. Guess what? Joshua saw a man standing there, which was the angel of the Lord, with his sword drawn. And Joshua said, whose side are you on? He said, I am the side. Worship. He got down. Loose your shoe off your foot. I'm Jesus, the angel of the Lord, and I'm leading them in, and I'm giving them the victory. You're smaller, and you're weaker, but you're on the right side. We got it. Let's go. And Acts chapter 7 in the King James Bible shows you that that was Jesus, not just an angel. And when you go back and look at it, you say that's absolute, that whole thing checks out because he worshipped and he let him worship. Amen. How about that? But boy, somebody come along with an NIV and they say, well, I mean, I know, but look at this. It says Jesus. And it was Joshua that let him in. And we, we corrected it. We helped God out. You know what you're dealing with? You're dealing with an ignorant dunce. You know Why? Because however smart his IQ is and however many languages he knows, he can't read plain English, he can't cross-reference, and he doesn't have any common sense at all. It takes a theology degree to get somebody that stupid. I don't care, I don't care what his IQ is. I don't care. I want God to teach. I want to be on the right side. I want God to teach me that book. That was Jesus leading him into the battle. You better be on the right side when the fight starts. It doesn't matter what the odds are. If God's for it, I'm for it. And if we're outgunned and outnumbered, hallelujah, as long as I got God. Go back with me, if you would, please, to 2 Samuel chapter 18. Better make sure that you're on the right side. Know how to discern the Lord's side and the devil's. Number two, know how to behave yourself in the battle. Folks, this is extremely important. Because just because we're in a fight doesn't mean it's just all things are fair. Sorry. I know us, when we try to talk like tough guys, fellas, it, you know, it, it aggravates me when you hear a guy trying to talk like a tough guy and he hasn't been in a fight in 40 years. You know what I'm saying? You'd be like, okay, bro, you might have been a real bad dude back when you were 20, but how many of us are really as bad as we think we are? There's only one way to figure that out. You want to figure it out? <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? I, I'm not trying to to talk like a tough guy, but we say the tough guy stuff like, man, everything's fair in a street fight. I'll grab whatever I can and do it. Like, It's one thing to say it. It's a whole other thing to have the guts to do it. When it comes to this fight, you can't just do anything you want. There's rules. You want to win? You want to win the battle? Yes, sir. Then you've got to abide by the rules. You know what 2 Timothy tells you? He's not crowned unless he strives How? Hmm. You ever been right and had your position right and been on the right side and done it the wrong way? Yeah. No win. You know what's horrible? You know what's absolutely horrible? 
to make a mistake you don't know you're making after you worked hard and trained and paid for it, to make a mistake you didn't know you were making and lose because of it. Yeah. I had a competition I went to, man. There was nobody in my bracket. All the old guys flaked. I'm in an old bracket. I'm 45. It was a 40 to 45 bracket. They said, you got two options. We'll give you a freebie. You can come back to another competition or you can go down a bracket. I said, well, I'll go down. Like, not wait. You know, that would be great. I'll fight the skinnier guys. That'd be wonderful. But go down in age. Stay in my same belt level and my same weight level and go down in age. I said, that's great. So the next bracket from 40 to 45 is 35 to 40. There's nobody in the 35 to 40 bracket. Okay, I'll do the 30 to 35, whatever, man. There's nobody in the 30 to 35 bracket. You're going down to the 18 to 30-year-olds. I'm like, yay. I had this stinking kid I had to fight. He is a Marine, and he was a stinking psycho. And he doesn't think that he could ever die. You understand what I'm saying? And the first fight, he got me, but it was best of three. So I still had another go at it, and if I really, really pushed through, I could actually still get the gold, but it was like, all right, man, you know. Second fight, it was Ty. I actually, the, the ref came to me afterward and said, if you hadn't messed that one thing up, I'll tell you what it is in a minute, I was going to give you the fight because you were more aggressive and you were really taking it to him. See, I'm old, right? So I got old man strength. He's young. He had puppy strength. He was okay for a little while, but he was panicking because he's like, he, he, he said, he introduced me to his dad afterwards. I want you to meet my dad. <laughs> I'm like, hey, man, how are you? He's my age. like, how old are you? I told him. He's like, yeah, man, you're my age. I can't believe you're doing this. I'm like, yeah, nice to meet you. He's like, this is my dad. <laughs> so he's like freaking out because he looked at me like, hey, oh, man, I'm going to kill this guy, right? So it's like, okay, you got me first time, boy. It's on now, right? Second time, we went the whole way. I was the aggressor. You know what I did? There's a grip. There's one grip you're not allowed to have. When you're gripping in a, in a gi fight, you can't grip inside like that. You have to grab on the outside and roll it if you want the grip. If you go here, it's illegal. You know what I did? I grabbed his, I grabbed his wrist to break his grip, and I went inside. Disqualified. It's against the rules. I looked at him after the fight. I'm standing there. I'm thinking, I, I think I got this one. And now the next one, I know I cracked him. I knew on that second fight I cracked him. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I knew. I knew. I just, just knew. His, his mind had cracked. Yeah. So now I'm going I'm to kill him on the next one, right? Yeah. I'm going to take the stinking gold. I'm going to brag the rest of my life that I went down all these weight classes and an old man and smoked the kids, right? That's right. Uh-uh. You know why? One illegal grip. I said, what are you talking about? They went back. I, mean, I threw a fit. I actually fought it. They went back and showed me the video, stilled it, and zoomed it in. I said, you got to be kidding me. You know what is terrible? It is terrible to spend all that time working and training and beating yourself half to death and denying yourself food and training anyways when you're starving and all that goes into it, all the nerves and all the anxiety, and then to lose the first one but go, oh, that's okay, I got it, we're good. And to get all the way and go, I got that one. And then to get to the judgment and have them say, I told you not to do that. But I did everything right. doesn't matter. I told you not to do that. That's bad, man. You see the illustration? Now, that stupid, ridiculous, dumb stuff that I used as an illustration. You know what's not dumb? 
I'm going to face my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ one day and I'm going to give an account for my life. And I am trying, folks. I, I, I'm not perfect. I'm not the best Christian there is. But I am trying. I want to do something with my life that amounts to something. I would hate to get there and have God say, disqualified. Why? You didn't fight the way I told you to fight. You got too nasty. You retaliated when people hurt you. You put a scope on, the, on, the, on, the, on your rifle there when you were preaching your messages and you were gunning for people rather than just giving them the word of God. You didn't abide by the rules. You see? That scares me more than anything. David told them, when you go in the battle, spare my boy. But you know what? I mean, I agree with Joab. <laughs> what do you mean spare him? David's too merciful. David's too kind. David's heart's too big. When it comes to his family, David, with all the strengths he has, seems to have a blind spot. He's good on judgment, but when it comes to his own kids, he can't seem to follow it through. But you want to know something? From Joab's perspective, that is absolutely beside the point. That is not his priority. That is not his problem. He's not going to answer to God for David's relationship with Absalom. He's going to answer to God for his relationship to David. You see that? Do you see how dangerous that is? Because you can be in a position in life where God has put you under somebody else's authority, a boss, a spouse, whatever it is, church situation. You can be under somebody else's authority. You can look at that person and see that they have a problem in that area. I'm not talking about making excuses for sin. Do I have to qualify every time I say something? not talking about making excuses for sin or illegal activity or unethical. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about chinks in the armor. You can see that, and then when you focus on the chinks in the armor, you say, you know what, I don't care what he said. I'm doing it my way. And you mess up because you were told by the king how to do it and what to do and what not to do, and it's his priority what, he's, what he wants to do with his boy. That's his throne. That's his kingdom. That's his judgment. If you don't like the way he calls it, beside the point, You disqualified yourself because you overstepped into an area you weren't supposed to be in. But it made sense, didn't it? Well, I was right. Yeah, maybe you were. You know what I got to thinking? We were down there at the the meeting in Florida and somebody had mentioned chinks in the armor. And, And I got to thinking while he was preaching, I thought, you know what? I never looked at chinks in the armor from this perspective. Where do chinks come in the armor? If all I did is leave my armor hanging in my office, you will never find a chink in it. But when I get that stuff off the wall and I put it on and I get out there and it gets messy and it gets confusing and it's bloody and it's gross and the smells and the sound and the vision gets blurred because the sweat's in your eyes and it's burning your eyeballs and you're trying to do the best you can to keep going and you're twitching and you're hungry and your adrenaline's messing you up and you're trying to control your mind and folks it's it's a a battle is a nasty nasty thing you can kind of make some mistakes in the middle of the battle You, you grab the wrong grip and don't even know you're doing it chinks in the armor are not a disqualifier Chinks in the the armor, when you're looking at your brothers and sisters in Christ and you see chinks in their armor, do you know sometimes, I know for a fact, people got certain faults because of what has happened to them? It doesn't disqualify them. 
I don't throw them away because I see a fault. Some people got faults for legitimate reasons. Now, don't use that as an excuse to gloat in your chinks. Fix them. But leave other people alone when you see chinks. See what Joab did? Yeah, uh-uh. Why'd you spare him? Because you heard the king. The king said not to mess with the boy. I don't have time to tarry with you here. He said, Joab, you know for a fact that if I went over there and killed Absalom, you yourself, when we went back and everybody said he killed Absalom, a certain man, I think it's verse 10 or something like that, it just says a certain man. Doesn't even give his name. You know what that certain man did in the battle? That certain man conducted himself right. And he got the heat from Joab for doing it. But he took the heat because it was right. And he looked at him and he said, Joab, you yourself know. If I would have done that, then when we got to the king, you'd have killed me yourself because the king would have had me killed for what I did. You'd have done it yourself. You know what Joab says, which we'll get to it in the next few weeks. Joab says, I can't tarry with you thus. I'll kill him. You know why? Joab had leverage on David. I'll show you how to deal with that. You know why I don't worry about getting manipulated? I don't worry about it. Oh, they're just using you. Let them use me. They're just manipulating you. I don't care. Why? You got nothing to offer me. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? I love you, and, and, and in order to have a church, we need people. But I'm just saying, there ain't no one person that we're like, oh, we just got to have you. The church doesn't need you. You need the church. And if you decide you don't want to do it, but God wants it done, God will replace you with somebody else, including your pastor. This is true about me. You understand that? He says, I got leverage. You better make sure you don't put yourself in a position where you absolutely have to need anybody but Jesus Christ in that way. Do you understand what I'm saying? Where you've built this kind of relationship that's a sinful relationship that's got you on the wrong side where now he has leverage over you because you messed up because you hooked up with the wrong people and you let the wrong stuff happen. That's what happened with David. He hooked up with Joab and now he feels like he can't do anything about it because he used Joab for his own purposes. He went to Joab because he knew Joab would do it. And now Joab's got leverage on David because there's secrets, see, that between God and David and Joab's in on it. So Joab's like, I'll kill him. What's he going to do to me? You remember how Joab and Absalom had a buddy-buddy relationship and manipulating David to bring Absalom back? Huh. Joab didn't care at all about helping, at all about helping David. Joab wanted the same thing about helping Absalom. Joab wanted the same thing Absalom wanted, the throne. So when Joab sees his opportunity, you see what I'm talking about getting on the wrong side, folks? When he sees his opportunity, he says, I'll kill that sucker. And he puts some dark right through that boy's heart. He is literally like he's at a saloon uh, having a few drinks and playing darts with the boys. And then his ten fellas, his ten armor bearers come around and chop him half to death. Was he the enemy? Not a trick question. Yes, Yes, he was. Were they in a battle? Was David a guy with a blind spot when it came to Absalom? Did they do wrong? 100%. Why? They didn't fight the battle the way the king said to fight it. That is such a hard thing when it comes to the Christian life. Because so often our churches get hurt because we get to a point where something has to be done about something 
and it's time to fight, and we stand up to fight, but we don't fight lawfully. You realize you live in a world full of people that have lost their cotton-picking minds. This world is a train wreck. And you watch the news, and you you are not a red-blooded, American, freedom-loving, born-again, Bible-believing Christian if you don't get mad as a wet hen when you watch the news. Some days you got to just not even look at it. And then you go out there and you're at the grocery store or you're at the restaurant or you're at work and one of them walks in. And it's war, right? Because we stand for something and against other things. And instead of fighting the right way, hey, can I give you a gospel track? Tells you what the Bible says about being born again and how much Jesus Christ loves you. Instead of fighting the right way, we strive unlawfully. Did you see them? Yeah, they're messed up. Does anybody care? Does anybody care about the soul of the person or do all we see is the enemy? Come in here and we preach against all them all the time rather than letting God deal with us. Strive lawfully. When you fight the battle, you better make sure you're on the right side. When you fight the battle, you better make sure you fight the right way. I think one of the reasons we're losing so bad and the church is losing bad, we ain't fighting right. You got these places nowadays, absolutely, churches absolutely filled with what I believe is actually lost people. And you got what, they, what calls themselves preachers in pulpits, milking the goats for their money rather than feeding the sheep. We're fixing to put on an addition by the grace of God. God's blessing our church by the grace of God. You know how we're going to do it? Lawfully. We're preaching the Bible. You want the Bible? This is the place to come. You want to be entertained? Go. There's lots of places to go. And honestly, I'm not trying to be rude. I don't care about attendance and I don't care about your money. God has showed me I don't have to care. He's in it, so he'll build it his way, but we're going to do it lawfully. I'd rather have a hundred people and have it the way God wants than a thousand people in an unlawful way. My last point, and we'll go. In verses 19 through 32, we don't really have the time to read it all, so I just want to give you the story here. After they've slain Absalom, then there's a couple of fellas here. One's Ahimeaz, the son of Zadok, and the other one's Cushai. And Somebody has to bring the king word. So now we've wrapped up this battle. The fight is over. We kind of got to wait for the fallout to come. And and you got got this Ahimeaz character. And he's, he's like the, I don't know, he's the young zealous person that thinks that they're ready to do something they're not ready to do. Seen it so many times. People walk into church and they act like, it it, it shocks me. I, I don't understand it, it shouldn't shock me, but it's one thing that shocks me. People don't shock me much anymore. But it shocked me when people come in that, you know, they're first time here, second time here, whatever. And, and it's like, they're here to tell me how to pastor the church. I don't care if you've been saved since, you know, Moses came over on the ark. I, I don't care. You guys know your Bible, don't you? That's good. Good response. I don't care how many verses you can quote. Amen. You don't have any common sense, do you? you? You can't look in my eyes and see that I'm being nice to you right now. Like, 
where were you when we prayed and, and, and begged God to do something and packed our bags and moved up here from Toledo, left a very large church where our kids had all the programs and all the friends and like literally showed up hoping God would do something and met in a living room and sat around with 11 people while I sat on a stool and preachy teachy to 11 people in a living room. Awkward. <laughs> but you walk in and you think you got something to say. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm just saying, like, you don't come in and hijack what God's been doing all this time. You think that I'm just going to roll over and play dead? You don't think there's, there's deacons here that have been here a very long time that love me and that I love and love the work and have put the effort in? You don't think there's church members here that have been here a very long time and that are committed to this thing and that have, have funded it for years and years and years, probably thousands of dollars? I don't know. I don't count. But I see what comes in in totals. You don't think that the well, Ahimeaz, it's not your time right now. Ahimeaz is saying, well, let me be a part. Let me, let me go tell him. Let me go tell him. And Joab's like, you got nothing to say. You didn't see it. Yeah, but I want to run and tell him. No. Just wait. Your time will come. Sit down and relax a minute. And then he goes to Cushai. He says, hey, Cushai, go tell the king what's happening. Cushai must have saw what happened. He must have had some experience. And so Joab says to Cushai, go tell the king. But Ahimeaz gets all jacked up. He doesn't know his place. He doesn't know what God wants from him at this point. And as a result, he thinks he's ready to do something God doesn't want him doing yet. But he thinks he's ready. So Cushai gets sent. He starts out running. Cushai is an old slow guy, you know. Plodding along. Ahimeaz gets on Joab and pressures him. And pressures him. Joab says, fine, run. If you want to go, go, <laughs> idiot. You're fixing to make yourself look like a moron to the king of Israel. But okay. So Ahimeaz, you know, he's the... He's the young guy. He's the, he's the, you know, the big successful church. He's the church that's just packing it out with goats because they know exactly how to reach them. Give them all they want. And he outruns Cushai. He's the fast, he's the more glamorous one. He's the one, wow, do you see how fast he is? He's amazing. And he gets to David and David says, what's up? And he says, I don't know. When he got to the place where he thought he wanted to be, he realized he had nothing to say. And he made a fool out of himself. See, in the battle, make sure you know your place. And I'll tell you this, sometimes it's not time yet to be preaching yet, people. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? But you know how many baby Christians really want to start preaching at everybody else, but they don't know enough yet to preach? So the devil sets you up with some cultist who confuses your head and confuses your mind. I'm not saying don't witness. We've seen some great examples of people that just get saved, that come to this church, that pack out pews. You know what they say? All I know is what Jesus did for me, and you need what I got, and I can't answer all the questions, but my preacher will come to church with me. Perfect. Because you saw it, Kushai. You have something to say. You know what God did for you. But sometimes we need to just say, you know what, I know where I'm good and I know where I'm not. I know what God's called me to do and I know what he hasn't called me to do and I am just so happy to be a part of it however I can be. Joab, if I'm not ready yet, I'll hang out. 
He outruns Cushai. Cushai is a slower guy and he gets there, but he has something to say. He tells the king what happened. You see, it's important to know your place in the battle. Why? I'm saying this because I want you to stay in the battle a long time because if you wait, Ahimeaz, you might get to the point where God's put some things in you and you are ready to run. You are Cushai. But don't humiliate yourself before you get there by trying to be something you're not. I don't understand why so many of us try to be what other people are. Can you, please, can you please, please do me a favor and just be yourself and love God and love your family and love whatever you do or don't have and be thankful for where you're at in life and wait on the king? The story wraps up. There's two sides. Notice in your King James Bible, you're in chapter 18. 18 is 6 plus 6 plus 6. And you've got one side here, which is the side of Absalom. And Absalom is one of the greatest types in your Bible of the Antichrist. I'll show you, I'll just tell you, I'll list these things to you and how he's a type of the Antichrist. He's a rebel. He's a murderer. He usurps the throne at Jerusalem, just like the Antichrist will here coming soon in the tribulation period. He has an authority problem. See the spirit of Antichrist all through our world today, not just America. They got an authority problem. He went to his own place. He's hung in a tree. He's buried in a pit. He's proud. He has a uh, a pillar erected to him. He was a Syrian Jew. You know the Antichrist is going to be a Syrian Jew? A half-breed? These idiots a few years ago were saying Barack Obama was the Antichrist. Websites were built. Biblically, biblically ignorant, high-may-ass idiots. He's a black man. He ain't the Antichrist. What are you talking about? If you know the Bible, the Antichrist is a Syrian Jew. And he was beautiful. But he was the wrong side. The masses of people followed him. But it was the wrong side. When you wrap up the chapter in verse 33, the king is weeping and he's moved because his son has died. But in chapter 19, guess what happens with the king? He comes back to Jerusalem. Do you understand? You understand, church, the king is coming back. And he's going to reign on a throne in Jerusalem. And we're getting close to the finish line, but the battle is hot, and it's aggressive, and it's bloody, and it's going to get more exciting. I am so happy that God made me a pastor in 2023. I'm happy to be here this morning. I'm happy the world is like it is, and I'm happy that I get to say I'm on the king's side. Y'all can drive him out, but he's coming back, and while you drive him out, I'm sticking with him, and I'm fighting for him, and I'm fighting his way, and I'm fighting in my place. And I'm staying with him because he's coming back soon. And when he comes, I want to be there to be a part of it. And I'm telling you, our king is coming soon. So when it's time to fight, make sure you know what side you're on. Make sure you stay with the right side. Make sure you fight the right way. And make sure you fight in your spot the way God wants you to fight. Just do your part. And when the king comes back, you'll get rewarded. Let's stand to our feet this morning with our heads.